Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. How do you love someone who is experiencing pain? You love them by lamenting with them. In the little book, Tuesdays with Maury, Mitch Album relates a story about his mentor, Maury, when he first began his grad studies. He had been given a research grant to study mentally ill patients and to observe how they were treated, to look into their treatment methods. And while that sounds maybe normal to us now, this was actually groundbreaking in the early 50s. It was the first of its kinds. Well, Maury showed up to work and began to observe what was happening. It was a place of tremendous pain, the place where he was working. Some patients would scream all day. Others would cry all night. Some would soil themselves. Others would refuse to eat and eventually had to be held down and medicated and fed intravenously. One of the patients caught Maury's attention. A middle-aged woman would shuffle out every morning from her room and lay face down in the hallway and stay there all day. Maury was horrified. People would just step around her, doctors, nurses, other patients would just walk around her all day. Well, he took notes because that was what he was supposed to do, but he watched, and every day the same thing. This woman would come out in the morning, lie face down in the hall, and then stay there until the evening. She didn't talk to anyone. And everyone basically ignored her, and it saddened Maury greatly. And so he began to sit beside her on the floor. He even would lay down alongside of her, right in the middle of the hallway as people are walking past and stepping over them. And he would be there with her in an attempt to draw her out of her misery, day after day. Eventually, she began to respond to him. She sat up, and they would sit there in the middle of the hall. Eventually, he was able to coax her back to her room, maybe earlier in the day than she ever would have gone. It turns out that what she really needed was what everyone needed. She needed to be noticed, to be seen. She needed someone to enter into her pain, to be with her in her suffering. This is such a powerful image of love, isn't it? Maury lying down in a hallway alongside someone deeply, deeply shattered. And that laying on the floor in the hallway perfectly captures the love of Christ for us. I mean, Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, obviously, Jesus has more in mind than laying down in a hallway with someone who's mentally ill, but I'd like to suggest 
He doesn't mean any less than that. But in some way, Jesus meant exactly this kind of love. Through our Love and Lent series, we're continuing to learn about and practice lament together. And my hope is that the Holy Spirit is is leading us more deeply into his own groaning heart for us and for the world. That we're learning together to lament along with him in those very places of suffering and of pain. Now, if you've missed any of the previous messages, I urge you to listen to each one of them. I believe that they'll help you not only understand like what is lament, but how do we practice it? How do we lament as a community, as individuals? You can find them on our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. They're all archived there. There's also podcasts available on iTunes, but I encourage you to catch up. You see, to lament is to love. In fact, we cannot lament unless we love first, but we also cannot fully love unless we lament. To lament, then, is to love, and to love is to lament. Today, I want to offer you very practical guidance for how we can love one another by lamenting one another's pain. In Galatians 6.2, the Apostle Paul urged Jesus' followers to bear each other's burden, or how the New Living Translation puts it, share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ. In another letter, we're also told to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. As many of you know, Tennille and I have walked through many years of shared pain. Tennille, due to multiple debilitating diseases, diseases that are actually reasonably rare, has suffered physically for at least half of her life. She's endured acute and chronic pain. She's undergone many surgeries, seven at the last count. Uh, Physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental exhaustion. Uh, She lives with deep regrets and disappointments because of what has been missed in life as a result of her sicknesses. She has spent months in a wheelchair, more months walking with canes when she was able to walk, and she has languished literally months of her life in bed. And I, as her husband and our two sons, have learned to walk with her in this painful journey, sharing in that loss, that frustration, that exhaustion, as well as the helplessness of people who love someone in pain when they watch someone that they love suffer. And so along the way, we have learned a little bit of this connection between love and lament. We've learned that from each other. We've also learned that from others, from brothers and sisters and family and friends who've loved and lamented with us. And so what I share today comes from my heart, it comes from our experience, as well as from the scripture and from my experience as a pastor over the years. And I believe that there's something here for all of us as we learn how to love one another as we lament one another's pain. And I hope and pray, I believe, that this will help us grow in our love for others. 
Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take my words today and you would use them to grow our hearts for each other. That you would help us love one another by entering into each other's pain and lamenting with each other. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would grow us as a community in our ability to empathize and care for brothers and sisters, neighbors and friends who are experiencing tremendous suffering. Guide us now, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. So, how do we lament one another's pain? There are three actions we must take. The first is that we show up. People in pain need our presence more than they need anything else. For some of us, this can be really hard because we don't like feeling uncomfortable and we are uncomfortable around pain, around suffering. We feel awkward. We are unsure of ourselves. We feel helpless because we don't know what to do. We're at a loss. We aren't sure if we're even wanted. Um, We certainly don't know what to say. And so often, then, we find excuses to maybe put it off, to not go. We think, well, they don't really want to be bothered by me, do they? Surely they've got family taking care of them, don't they? I mean, they don't really need me getting involved. I'll just, it'll feel like I'm intruding. The truth is, just to name it, when someone is experiencing significant pain, particularly physical or mental pain, they may actually not want you showing up at their doorstep. At least, uh, I think I should say, we've got to use wisdom involved in how exactly we show up. I know for Tennille, she often could not get together with anyone because the pain was too great or the exhaustion was too great. She wasn't even able to function enough to get out of bed. And so wisdom is needed. But more often than we realize, we end up projecting our own insecurities onto the people who are suffering. And then we use it as an excuse to maybe ignore, put off, stay away, just not show up. Here's the thing. Showing up can actually look a lot of different ways. When Anna Lee Stewart emails Tennille regularly to check in, to see how she's doing, and then tells her that her and Al and Mark Bone are faithfully praying for Tennille, she was showing up in a profound way. When cards are sent or meals were delivered to us in particular times of need, people were showing up. And yes, at those times when Tennille could go out and maybe visit, go for a coffee with a friend or lunch or something like that, that was a real treat. That's showing up too, of course. For the people that we love who are in pain, showing up can just be a phone call or sending that text or email or Maybe, yes, coming by to simply have tea on the deck or go for a walk. And this is especially true right now during the pandemic because you can't, you know, just because you can't go inside someone's home doesn't mean you can't actually show up in the ways that matter. So the challenge is to be creative and to be intentional. But the point is God calls us all to take action on behalf of the person in pain, and that starts with showing up. And we might just find, like Maury, simply laying down on the floor in the hallway beside that woman, that 
any act of showing up has a powerful effect on the person who's in pain. Job's friends famously have been found insufficient. (laughs) Going down in history as the ill-formed discomforters, the kinds of friends who make enemies look kind, you know. But they didn't start off badly. In fact, their very first action was showing up, and they were textbook perfect. After Job had suffered devastating loss of family and wealth and health, this is what happened. When Job's three friends, Elphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job, they set out from their homes homes, and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. What a beautiful picture of love and lament. Seven days sitting in silence, sitting with Job in his suffering. And they need to be commended. They need to be commended for just showing up. You know, as the story rolls out, they should have just stayed right there. Instead, they ruined their act of showing up by talking, which sometimes can be a problem that we need to be aware of, right? Sometimes showing up and shutting up is the best thing we can do for those who are in pain. But the first action of lamenting is simple. Choosing to enter the discomfort, the pain, the sorrow, not to fix things or rush around or be the hero, but to simply be with the person who is in pain, to listen to them, to say nothing, to hold a hand, to offer space, just to be with them. I know that probably one of my greatest challenges as a husband has been learning that my presence in the pain with Tineal is what's most important. That my refusal to avoid the uncomfortable, to actually be with, is an expression of love. People in pain need your presence more than they need anything else. Second action. We share in. People in pain need us to participate in practical ways. After we've shown up regularly, intentionally, listening to and weeping with and praying for, we will begin to see concrete ways that we can serve our brothers and our sisters who are in pain or suffering or in some kind of struggle and tragedy. And we can do so in ways that are so helpful. Yes, some caution is needed. Again, wisdom. But caution shouldn't paralyze us from care. With discernment, we can meet practical needs without crossing boundaries. With wisdom, we can resist our let's just fix it mindset, and yet we can lift concrete burdens. Because the truth is, while you can't fix someone's pain, you can soften their experience of it. 
serving one another in practical ways, which often includes uh, more of what we've already been doing when we show up, you know, more of just listening, more of just walking, more of praying and being with. I mean, that's critical. A lot of times that's, that's actually all they need. That is practical. That takes time, and, and it's hard for some of us who just want to do stuff to realize that actually what my friend needs the most is for me just to listen. But also helping with chores or providing a meal or walking the dog or running an errand or providing childcare. These are the kinds of things that can lift very real burdens on people who are already suffering tremendous loads. While it doesn't, again, fix the pain itself, it can definitely soften its experience. The truth is, most of the trouble that we get in and the thing we want to be most cautious about isn't the helpful actions we take. It's the often not-so-helpful words that we speak. And taking careful notes on the subsequent failure of Job's friends, which is all the rest of the book of Job, actually, or most of it, helps us see that it's the ways that we speak that end up often causing more pain, not less. When we show up, we should listen more than we speak. And when we do speak, we should ask questions. We should draw people out rather than making grand statements. We shouldn't attempt to explain someone's suffering to them. We shouldn't just throw platitudes at them that can, in effect, diminish a person's experience. Yes, we want to point people toward God's care. But even that, if done inappropriately, can actually serve to minimize a person's pain, as though you know you would just feel better if you trusted God more. It's important that we don't compare their suffering with others, maybe even our own, even if we've had some similar experiences. Sometimes we almost have an innate desire to make them feel better by telling them a story about someone else who suffered worse than them. And while there can sometimes be um, care expressed or an experience where uh, someone realizes, oh, there are other people who have suffered and that does make me feel better, let them discover that, not from you. It's better to just listen. It's better to let them share their experience. There's a lot more that we could say about what we maybe shouldn't say when we are with people. Uh, maybe we could run a whole clinic on that. In fact, maybe we'll do a Facebook Live on that or sometime, and I'll, I'll pull in someone like Cheryl, and we'll have a conversation about, practically speaking, what are some of the things we should or shouldn't say when we are with people in their pain? We could learn a lot from that. But the rule of love is this. Show up and shut up. I mean, okay, you can speak, but serve more than speak. Show the love of Christ through your actions primarily the actions you take for them rather than the sense you try to make of their suffering. And you know what? If you do say something wrong, ask forgiveness. Don't let that hinder you from showing up again. Don't let your fear of saying something wrong keep you away. Keep showing up. But maybe, maybe if I could say it this way, let your fear of saying something hurtful motivate you to use your ears and hands more than your mouth. I do think that's true. When I talk to people who've experienced a lot of pain over their lives, Tennille included, um, they, can, they can give you a pretty long list of things that people have said to them over the years that were not overly helpful. And yet they can also give you good examples of ways that people have spoken life 
The Holy Spirit can act through us, and yes, even speak through us, of course, words of life and hope and healing and grace. Let him do that. Learn from the experience of others who've been in pain what is good to say and good not to say, and let's show up and share in. But there is a time for speaking, a time where you can just talk, 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 talk with no filter whatsoever, and that is the next action when we pray. Action number three is that we stand for. That people in pain need us to stand for them in prayer. I believe it's here that all of our showing up and sharing in bears its most significant fruit. We stand for these friends. We stand for these brothers, for these sisters, speaking to God on their behalf. Remember the five directions of lament? We take all that to God. We rage out on their behalf. We linger on and linger on in that lament for them. We reach back to the faithfulness of God and demand that God respond to their need. We point toward the work of the cross, toward the work of Jesus Christ through his resurrection, toward the work of the Spirit in bringing new creation. We strain forward in the hope that, God, you are bringing renewal to this world, and I'm asking that you bring renewal to this person now. We lament for them. We stand for them. Now, that's called intercession. That's a type of prayer where we pray and stand in and advocate for and speak on behalf of someone else. And you know what? It's so powerful because having showed up, having shared in, we become most powerful advocates. We've sat with and heard and we've seen the need. We've responded with real care. But now we take that to the Father and we speak boldly and freely as priestly intercessors. And this standing for our brothers and sisters who are in pain and suffering or in tragedy and loss, this is an incredible act of love for others. Taking time, real time. Nothing wrong with speaking out a prayer here and there for someone, but I'm talking about the kind of a commitment to actually commit time and care and words and space not just to pray for our own needs or concerns or interests, but to labor in prayer for one person, for their situation, for their pain, to make a sacrifice that no one else sees, to do a work that no one else is aware of but our triune God. Standing for is an act of loving lament which bears the burdens of other people right into the throne room of God himself. Remember that invitation in Hebrew chapter 4? Having realized we have this great high priest, Jesus Christ, who's able to empathize with all of our weakness, we are challenged to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Well, we do that. But now when we march into the throne room, we're marching in on behalf of someone else. We're marching in on the behalf of Fred or June or Rob or Henry. We're we're marching in for Dave, for Ken, for Sylvia, 
rejoice. We're marching in and doing this for the sake of someone else. And friends, this is holy, holy work. It's a high call and it's absolutely essential so that we can lament one another's pain. We need to stand for each other in the presence of the Father, speaking boldly of the need for God's mercy and grace. And there's a holy dynamic here. Because what we discover is that our intercession for others is actually part of a larger joint effort. That our intercession, in fact, is a work of the Holy Spirit within us who takes our words and sometimes our lack of words, who takes those feelings that we have but don't even know how to express and catches them all up and then joins them together again with another ongoing work of intercessions, the work of Jesus Christ himself, and offers them all together on behalf of us, but the people that we are advocating for. Now, I think some of you have heard this before, but just so you know I'm not blowing smoke, I want to remind you of just two passages from one chapter, Romans 8. You can find these in other places too, but listen to this one. From Romans 8, 26, we find out that in the same way the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, we do not know what we ought to pray for, which, let me just say, is often true when we're lamenting for others who are in extreme pain and it's unanswerable and we don't know how to fix it, we don't know what to do, we don't know how to pray, we don't know what to say. Well. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And then just a little later in Romans 8, verse 34, uh, speaking of Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Listen, there's an ongoing ministry of intercession happening all the time. The Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ, and within us. And there's mystery here. There's stuff in here that is so deep, I certainly haven't plumbed it. I don't think anyone has. But we can know this for sure. We can be confident in this. We are called to join this ongoing work of intercession. And when we give voice to someone else's pain, to the needs that they have, when we lament on their behalf, we find that our laments are woven now into this ongoing intercessory work of Jesus by the Spirit to the Father. And that doesn't diminish our need to intercede. It's not as though we think, oh, well, then what does it matter what we say? In fact, the Scriptures teach us all over the importance of our role in praying for others. We're challenged all over the place to pray for one another, to uphold one another, to pray for those in our society, to pray for leaders, to pray for for needs, to pray for the mission, pray all over because in some mysterious way, God is calling us as his human images, now filled with the Spirit, to be who we were created to be as a holy nation and a royal priesthood. And somehow, not only in the loving care that we take and the actions that we, we, we commit to and the voices that we speak out there, but in prayer itself, we join the Spirit and we join Jesus in their kingdom work and some way, in some amazing, mind-blowing way, God actually requires our involvement as his people to bring his kingdom so that his kingdom can come and his will can be done in the lives of this, the people in this world, but also 
in the renewal of creation to come. All of that to say this. We love each other when we lament for each other. When we stand for someone in prayer, faithfully, passionately. That's love flowing from the deepest source and joining in the strongest choir of voices. And it's there that God does his most marvelous work. As much as you show up in the presence of pain, show up also in the presence of God for those people who are in pain. As much as we are called to share in the experience of suffering, we are called also to share in the intercessory work of Christ by the Spirit for those who are suffering. Lament is an act of love to the God who hears us and who responds. So stand for each other. I want to offer, as we close today, some focused application. Again, Galatians 6.2 says, bear each other's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? It's very simply this, to love each other as Christ has loved us. And we do that by bearing one another's burdens. And so here's my question, three questions for you. I want you to think about this, maybe grab a piece of paper right now. Solidify this in your mind. First question, who needs you to show up? Who needs you to show up, show up to, to reach out, to call them, to go for a walk with them, to deliberately stay connected, to put it in your calendar so that you remember every third day, every week, I'm going to send an email, I'm going to send a text, I'm going to make a call, I'm going to whatever it takes to make that person know that I'm here, I'm present for them. Who needs you to show up? What are their names? I challenge you, write down one name of someone who needs you to show up. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal. There might be someone that, you're, that you've forgotten about, that you've been unaware of, that you haven't thought about for a while, and maybe no one else has either. Who needs you to show up? Second, what's one practical way that you can share in their suffering? A practical way that you can lift the burden. Some hands-on, tangible expression of God's love for them in their pain. Not an attempt to fix it or be the hero, but to simply share in that suffering and lift a burden. What's one practical way you can do that? And then the third question is, and you might have already answered this, so maybe this is a how question. I was going to say, who needs you to stand for them in prayer? Maybe this is someone you've already been showing up with. You've already been serving, but you realize, you know, other than a, a, a little, you know, thought prayer here and there, I haven't really stood for them. I haven't really advocated for them. I haven't become an intercessor on their behalf. And, and so I'm going to make a really concrete challenge here. As you've identified perhaps who it is that you need to show up with, or maybe you already know who that is, I want to ask very specifically if you would commit five minutes a day for the next month, 30 days, standing for that person in prayer. That's five minutes a day for the next 30 days. Write it down on your phone. Remind yourself. You set a timer. I mean, you can do this. Don't feel bad. Set a timer for five minutes, and then for five minutes, stand for that person in prayer. Who needs you to do that? And I'm asking you to make a commitment to do that for the next 30 days. Remind yourself. Talk to your spouse or a friend. Make that commitment. Because, friends, if we'll stand for each other in prayer, it's tremendous things that God is able to do.
That's our focused application, and I, I'd love to see and hear how that works out for you. Listen, Jesus Christ himself entered into our pain in a very real way. The story of Jesus Christ is the story of the king coming into our hallway, lying face down on the floor beside us in our brokenness, in our shatteredness, in our pain, in our sin, in our loss, and transferring his life to us. So that through his death and resurrection, and through the gift of the Holy Spirit, we could eventually sit up, then get up. And then, not just shuffle back to our room, but begin to see others around us who are also lying face down on the floor. That somehow Jesus has called us into this ministry of lament, of love, of care, of sharing in and standing for and showing up. He's called us to to begin to, in that sense, lie down on the floor beside other people. To begin to share in their pain and somehow transfer the life of Christ from us to them. To show them there is a God who cares. There's a Jesus who's interceding. There's a spirit who is at work who wants all of us to begin to experience his love right in the presence of our pain. To love one another is to lament in each other's pain. My hope and prayer for each one of us is that as we do that, for each other and for those around us, more and more people would discover the love that God has for them. More and more of us would discover the way that God wants to work in us and through us into those very places of pain. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.